Kia ora welcome to Te Hiringawaka Victoria University of Wellington, the podcast. My name is Dr Sarah Jane O'Connor and I teach science communication in the Centre for Science and Society here at Te Hiringawaka. I'm also an ecologist and your host of this sustainability focused podcast. Today I'm talking to two experts from different parts of the university about partnerships and how they help us achieve our sustainability goals. First I'd like to introduce our guests Rhonda Thompson and Andrew Wilkes. Rhonda Thompson affiliates to Porteni Naitahu. Rhonda is the Pohapai Senior Advisor in the Office of the Deputy Vice-Chancellor Māori at the University. She is also co-project manager of the Living Pa, a project that will see the University's Marae Precinct redeveloped into one of the most environmentally responsible hubs in the world. Andrew Wilkes is the Director of Sustainability within the Vice-Chancellor's Office here at the University. He has been championing sustainability at the university through his roles here for over a decade. His job involves deepening partnerships across the campus and city to achieve our sustainability goals. Kia ora, Rhonda and Andrew. Kia ora. Through this podcast series, we've been guided at a high level by the sustainable development goals, but today's conversation is far more clearly linked to the final goal, goal 17, partnership for the goals. What are your thoughts on that big picture ambition? What role might partnerships play in meeting our sustainability needs? The sustainable development goals do provide a pretty good guiding system, I guess, as to what what are the things you need to consider for a sustainable future, particularly around in the partnership space. That's just the, the nod to say that sustainability challenges tend to be really complex and gnarly challenges, and no single person or single entity tends to have all of the answers to solve all of those things or can have the reach to solve everything. So it does need to have different perspectives and different strengths and different parties coming together to address that work. Yeah, and I agree with that. We've dispelled the whole idea that we can work in silos now. We've got to bring other professions and disciplines along with us. We're really uniquely positioned in New Zealand because, you know, we're a small enough nation that we do see each other in corridors, even as it's across institutions. We're uniquely positioned in terms of using partnership models from Eastern concepts and partnership models from the Pacific as well. My team is very little in the university, our sustainability team. Mm. And the way that we make impact is that we're basically influencers across the university and beyond the university. We kind of look at it and say we can do some projects and just pick it up and run with it ourselves, or we can work with other parties and try and influence them to see the value in sustainability. And so I I kind of view that role of partnership as being how we can expand our impact much wider than just the little immediate team around us. Rhonda, can you tell us a bit more about the Living Power project and the the Living Building Challenge that it's aiming to meet? Living Power is the redevelopment of Te Hiringa Wakamarae here at the University on Kelvin Parade. The Whareinui was developed just over 36 years ago now And so now we have another very rare opportunity to build facility for ourselves that talk to our our values and our principles and who we want to be as a people. And what we find in the Living Building Challenge certification is a framework that supports us to enable that purpose. The framework is not unlike the 
SDGs um, in that it's, it's really big, it's holistic, it's evidence-based. And so when you get something that's as big as that, sometimes it's really useful to view it by some sort of metaphor and analogy. In the SDGs, they talk about the, the wedding cake, the layer cake, and that you understand that these things built upon each other and all together they make up this holistic framework. So the Living Building Challenge is, is not dissimilar in that it uses the metaphor for a flower as a symbol for the ideal built environment. And that flower has um, seven petals and many imperatives. The idea of a wedding cake or a flower, we kind of get that, and this is our jumping off point. And within that framework, there's some things that are very technically difficult to do, like net zero waste, carbon, um, 105% of our own energy needs. But there's also these things that are kind of like softer, which are things like um, human-scale living, um, health and happiness. But together, they're saying that sustainability is not something that can be achieved by green progress alone, that actually green progress alone can be actually quite inequitable, that actually sustainability is also about looking at you know, social justice and its relationships to our economy and the way people actually live. So it's a pretty radical um, framework. It's extremely hard to, to do. I heard it from one of our environmental ed- engineers very early on, and I won't stop using it. It's hard with capital letters. There's only 30 in the world and um, we'll be gunning for three or four in the southern hemisphere. I was involved in the Living Power Project more so in the earlier days when we were developing the business case for it and the justification as to why we needed to do it. When Rhonda and her team came to me with the idea saying that they want to make this a, a really sustainable building and go for Living Building Challenge certification... That was an amazing moment for me in the sense of that there's other people around the university that are gunning for this high level of sustainability ambition that is now getting to the point where there are other people that are sharing in that ambition. And I think particularly around the Living Building Challenge certification and the way that aligns to Māori values, the sustainability agenda and Māori values are so closely aligned that this was the perfect project to kind of bring those two together. How do you daydream about what the living power is going to mean for our community, both the university and the, the city, when it's when it's finished? When the Marae Whareinui was opened, it was radical for many reasons, but one of them would have been that Māori spaces were in the margins of New Zealand society. So I think we have a different relationship with the university, but certainly the Whareinui and the living power has had a profound effect on generations of Māori students, you know, because they graduate with this really important ticket if they're graduating the Marae, possibly in Te Kanga Māori. And so when I dream about what the living power means is Māori identity is is tied to the land and you know we are distanced from many cultural practices for I don't know 180 years and so you know Māori we want to do partnerships but it's also that we important that we have spaces where we can just come together and think critically together and to think about things like what does it mean to be mana whenua tangata whenua where does our mana emanate from does it emanate from the land um, and all the things on it and above it or under it? And so I feel like our students living in the living part and living in, um, the, in, in also experiencing the Farinui, they will have modelled the notion that their mana emanates from the land and that when they look after it, then they can say that they are, they are a person of mana and that they are a person of the land. Are there any particular challenges or opportunities for partnership work across sustainability in Aotearoa? How might they look in our particular context? 
Well, Aotearoa is a pretty small place. The group of people that are doing sustainability work in Aotearoa is pretty small. That ability to connect and, and work with others is pretty efficient. Who we are is often very strongly connected to our natural environment. And we have a degree of pride in this, this whole clean, green image that we like to portray to the world. But increasingly that's being proven to be false and that we're becoming more and more urbanised and more and more divorced from all the good that nature provides us. That There's still plenty of work for us to do here in Aotearoa to make sure that we are looking after the natural environment as we should be. Sustainability is where modern people's heads are at. And I think the maturing of our um, bicultural identity is also... You know, when I listen to what our contractors and subcontractors are doing to make something happen in this very hard standard, they are making just so many phone calls and creating so many relationships and working out how to do something in a new way. Their family values um, and their shared organisational values are all driving them to do this additional thing. Over the course of my career, at the start, I was really having to work hard to justify why we should even care about this. And that's a discussion that I very rarely have these days. Our students that we have here are just chomping at the bit for more and more of this. We're seeing huge growth in enrolments in sustainability-focused courses. But then when all of those students leave university and go out into their family lives and their careers, those are the change makers that are going to be beating the sustainability drum. And so I'm pretty optimistic on that. Yeah, I think people's heads are there, but we've got lots of local government policy that's just really about doing less bad, but not doing good. And so I just do think we've got a question, we've got some big questions around, are we doing enough? Andrew, can you tell us a little bit more about some of the projects that your team has been involved in and particularly interested in what you think the university's role might be in leading across our community, across the city or wider? The obvious example that springs to mind is our Growing Our Future project. We've leased a block of land from the council in the outer green belt. It's an 11 hectare block of land. We're taking on the responsibility for reforesting that that block of land and using it as a teaching tool essentially. That's partnership working at its best where as an urban campus we didn't have a whole lot of land available to us but we had aspirations of doing a whole lot more in the biodiversity restoration space and the city council had just acquired this new block of land to put into their outer green belt but they didn't have a whole lot of resources to put into reforesting it so the two kind of came together perfectly and, and gave us beneficial outcomes. We're getting the experience of all the staff and students going to put trees in the ground and we're getting good learning outcomes and we're getting some carbon sequestration out of it. That's a pretty successful result. Another recent project that we've done, we've we've tried to get all the cafes on campus to go single-use cup-free to work with them. They're all independent retailers and they just lease the space from the university. They've all come on board voluntarily. There's not a single-use cup to be seen coming out of the cafes on campus now, but it's been hard work for them. We've come on board and helped them out with providing alternatives and doing lots of promotion around it, but that's still a voluntary action for them and they still get some 
tough customers that really demand their disposable cup. And so that's some awkward conversations for them. And at the end of the day, they're businesses that are trying to make money. So it's harder when you're taking things away from people. What have you kind of taken away of what makes for a good partnership with local government, with business, with industry? And where do some of those challenges lie? I mean, yeah, what makes for a good partnership? Sharing, you know, a common vision, a clear vision of what you're working towards, sharing values, being open to there being another way of doing something. What makes a good partnership is everyone involved in the partnership gets a good outcome and feels like the effort that they put into the partnership is fairly rewarded in what they get out of it. I think so much of good partnerships come down to individual relationships and that the individual people involved in the project have that shared value and commitment to it. Yes, somewhat about mutual benefit, but I feel like it's not always about that. So you can still create a partnership around, for example, providing financial security or shifting some resource back, and that is the right thing to do. And when you're working around sustainability topic, creating partnerships, there is some shared sense of purpose. In Aotearoa New Zealand context too, People are looking about how we can also create partners and be in the sustainability space in our very own unique way as a country. I've heard a Living Part Ambassador, Honourable Justice Sir Joe Williams, talk about the idea that as a nation we're moving away from the mid-Atlantic to the South Pacific. And when we're doing that, we're very much discovering this Polynesian identity and that can give us a way to face the challenges that we are facing. And so as a nation, we have this opportunity to sort of synthesise this Western approach and this ideas that are from the Pacific to sort of give us new ways of thinking and, you know, and doing and being relating with the natural environment. And I think that there are notions that we can take to global partnerships. I think you know, the world is ready. There is goodwill wanting to move towards more sustainable practices and equally there's goodwill wanting to have better treaty relationships. Those two things have kind of been making steady progress on their own but when opportunities like the Living Park come up to do both things together then it has a bit more momentum and a bit more impetus to really get it across the line, making it a reality. We often sort of grapple with responding to sustainability. What's the role of individuals versus industry, wider society? People listening to this are, are probably interested in sustainability. That's why they're here. So what would you hope that they take away from this conversation? I think it's easy to fall into the trap of looking for a silver bullet. It's just n- never going to be as simple as that. So I'd say the takeaway for people is that everyone's got a part to play. And when figuring out what that part is... Think about where you're at in life and what are the things that you do that can have the most influence. If you're the Prime Minister of New Zealand, you're going to have a lot more levers that you can pull. But if if you're not, if you're just an average person sitting at home looking after their family with a, a regular old job, you still have things that you can do, whether it's around conversations that you're having over the barbecue or transport choices that you're making or the way you're engaging with politicians or the products that you choose to purchase. Think about what are the things 
that make the biggest impact in your lifestyle and try to do the big impact things that are relevant for your life. We, we talked about like co-production, link-up stuff. I think we've got to think bold. Um, and obviously, at the same time, one of the things that, that I've been talking about certainly is that green doesn't necessarily mean socially just. So just think about those wealth gaps and who's benefiting from a sustainability initiative and is it equitable? I mean, I know that we have to think about that at the Living Par. There's just a lot of opportunity here in terms of the impacts of colonisation have been persistent, but that we can weave back layers and be part of that. And I think here at this institution, we're lucky we've got students and staff and, and partners who are part of that through the outputs that they have. You both have busy, important jobs. What makes you hopeful or what kind of keeps your energy to keep pushing ahead on your work? It's got, to, it's got to be the house right up and opened. I'm looking forward to that just so much so that all the many, many people who have made some sort of contribution to it can actually sort of look back on it and go, there it is. But then it's the next phase too that what we know about these very unique living buildings is that they, they lift up people's regard for the natural environment and really encourage them to do things the right way. It's a kind of building where you've got to get in it, you've got to kick the tires and see what it means to you, see what it means to live within a certain water envelope or an energy envelope. But what does that mean to us and how do we start to to change ourselves you know the behavior changes is massive and then you know behavior change can obviously connect to the things that we do which is teaching learning research and the opportunity of this building is to change the way that we think and the way that we teach and the way that we learn and that's what I'm really excited for I want to see I want to see that it's gonna be really rewarding when it's done when we're able to get in there I get a lot of motivation from seeing the change and seeing progress and so I guess I'm fortunate that I'm in a space where I can see clear outcomes of the work that we're doing so I can track that and see how our carbon emissions are reducing and I can take heart that one I'm working for an organisation that is delivering a social good that I feel is the worthwhile employer to be working for and that I'm in a role that is making that organisation better both for itself but for the wider world. It can be a hard slog trying to create change and even if sustainability's got a bit of buzz around it and people are wanting to get on board, it can still be exhausting work trying to make this change all the time. And so one of those aspects of partnership work is that you kind of get a bit of peer support or you know, like you can lean on other people in the partnership, they can help spur you along. Thank you, Rhonda and Andrew, for your time. It's exciting to hear about some of these bigger projects and I'm sure everyone's very excited for when the living power is there and ready for use. Um, thank, you, thank you both. Namahi. Cheers. To stay up to date with our latest podcasts, subscribe using your preferred podcast provider. Thank you to Te Koki School of Music alumni Stefan Patton and Kenyon Shanky for the use of their music. From Te Heringa Waka, Victoria University of Wellington, Haere Rā.